0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. San Francisco in particular is one of the very, very, very few places in the world, if not the only place in the world, when you are an immigrant like me, with an accent like me, and you are... Um, and you, can, you come with a crazy idea, you're given a chance to do something.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein, and as always, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving us five stars if you haven't already. Thank you for becoming a part of the Patreon community, or thank you for none of the above. Just thank you for being you. And I'm excited to bring you another episode of this fine podcast, which has been my great pleasure um, to be creating and producing. And just also want to give a quick shout out and thank you to Sam Palumbo, my sound engineer, also Patch Kid Music on Instagram. Check him out. Um, this is, a, I think, an important episode. The student loan burden in the United States is $1.6 trillion as of January of this year and rising. And in a world post-COVID where universities like Harvard are still charging their $50,000 plus annual tuition, even with students being unable to physically attend these universities, um, we are going to start to see some things changing. And Professor Scott Galloway talks about this and he expects to see second and third tier colleges across the United States closing down. Um, because they have unsustainable economic models. And that's a shame, as my guest on this episode discusses, because colleges employ so many people. But the way that college tuition is financed in this country has to change. And we can't just keep on having our youth graduate from university oftentimes with jobs that can't support their lifestyle plus their debt burdens. So Amira Yayoi is my guest today. She is the founder and CEO of a company called Moss, M-O-S, which is a company that she created specifically to fight the student loan crisis in the United States. There are nearly $200 billion dollars worth of financial aid programs for students that are available to them across the country, both through their local, state, and federal governments, as well as private institutions and the university endowments themselves. But most students don't realize that they can access this capital or don't think that they would be qualified. And so what Moss does is it makes it simple for students to apply all in one place at moss.com and moss will connect them to whatever financial aid or grant programs that the student seems to be eligible for moss only charges a $150 success fee if the student actually gets this capital and so what amira has done is is, is create a simple tool for students to no longer take on huge amounts of debt just to get a proper education. And so Amira shares a bit about her journey. She's an incredible person. She was a Tunisian citizen that was basically in political exile in France um, leading up to the Arab Spring when Tunisia became a democracy and the dictator was taken out of power. And we discussed that situation in, in depth and her experience with that. She's also created NGOs uh, and she came to the Valley to solve the problem with education. So I'm going to let that be enough for today. I think that there's a lot to learn from Amira. She's just an incredible, incredible person. I feel so blessed to have had her on the show. And I hope that you all enjoy hearing from her. All right, speak soon. Amira, thank you so much for hopping on the Look Up Podcast with me. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm extremely excited. Um, you know, for the listeners, Amira just started a company called Moss, which were you probably just heard in the intro, but it's a company that's tackling the student debt crisis in the United States, um, and that. Is a huge problem for those of you that don't know, and so I guess, Amir, where I wanted to start is, you know, what is let's let's define the student debt crisis in the United States. What's going on?
0: What's going on is that um, the US is the only country in the world where, when you are a high school student, you graduate not with a party only, but with a possibility of taking on two hundred k. Uh, debt uh, and get into debt your whole life. It is very important to understand that this is the only country in the world doing this to its kids. Uh, so it is not normal. It is for me unacceptable. And so uh, today in the U.S. there is um, 1.6 trillion dollar in student debt. That is that exceeds like car loans, credit card loans. This is uh, something that is going to impact a generation, as it, it, it impacted already several generation, and it's just getting worse and worse.
1: Absolutely, and one of the one of the other problems with the student debt with student debt is that it's it's non forgivable, right?
0: Yeah, mostly non forgivable. Um, there are some loan forgiveness programs that the federal government gives those. Uh, loans are usually when you work for, you go back, work for government for several number of years, like there are a few, but this is so low, I would say less than 5% of students can, uh, can be eligible to this. Um, so at the end, most students and almost all students end up having to pay back their loans.
1: And it's so fascinating to me because you, you, you were born in Tunis and you were a, an activist who had to flee the country and, and went to France and ultimately went back. Um, and I want to hear more about that story. But I guess for starters, I'm just so curious as to what led you from the path, that path, and working on an NGO towards trying to solve this crisis, and particularly this crisis in America.
0: I am um, so my, my story is growing up in Tunisia. I am actually Tunisian, uh, and as your listener will will notice, I have an accent that make a lot of mistakes when I when I speak, <laughs> also because I'm dyslexic. But um,
1: you don't have an accent in Tunisia. <laughs> it's
0: fine, I love actually accents. It's fine. Um, but um, listen, my whole life was dedicated to find to fighting for democracy and um, the interest in democracy is not the philosophical idea of democracy but just fighting for people and people's rights and uh, as uh, many people might know the Arab Spring ended very well in Tunisia because Tunisia is now the only um, Middle Eastern country that is a democracy. After that um, I actually uh, know something about myself that I'm just passionate about problems. Like I just get bored <laughs> if I'm not in the middle of a problem um and solving problems is my passion in life. but um after that, I actually uh, get very interested in how democracies are also dysfunctional, and um, that democracies in their way can also um, be let's say not very welcoming for people and not treating them with dignity and equity and um and and rights and education as a right. So I knew I knew that my after the Arab Spring and after the revolution in Tunisia I had a ticket to go broader. And um and I am just really I would say obsessed with how do you treat People when they start their life, you know, and how do you how do you break barriers and how do you create opportunities and how do you create access, um, not only in dictatorships but actually super interesting in democracies and very um, big, rich, well functioning ones. So um, when I came when I came here uh, to the US. I was pretty agnostic about the problem. Um, I mean, I have a personal story with education, but education didn't have to be uh, the thing to tackle first. I actually thought that health was as important and 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 housing and and many other uh, dysfunctioning parts of society where where uh, we're interesting to tackle and to start, but um I find that somehow you can solve everything with education. And maybe that's very naive of me, but um, education is not only about learning. It's, it's about a ticket for a better future. It is about um, creating this opportunity that I was talking about, but it's also about like having dignity and like progress in society. And that is, um, that is why we, I ended up starting Moss as uh, an education-first focused uh, startup, and uh, tackling most importantly the barrier to entry to education to higher education, which is paying for college.
1: And there's there's so many paths for us to to explore uh, from that from that response. I I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, about Tunisia, and then we're going to get into um the problems with democracies cuz i'm super interested about what problems you're identifying across the board with democracies um but why do you think that tunisia was this i guess it it's it's a bit of an anomaly in that it it had a successful transition um through the arab spring and what do you think was the difference there
0: okay so are you are you ready for <laughs> to for the spoil? The reason is education.
1: <laughs> oh no way! Okay, so see, this is how we bridge the gap. <laughs> right,
0: right. Uh, the reason is education. Actually, there are uh, tons of things written about why Tunisia, among all the countries that went through revolutions and uprising, was such so successful. Um, here's the story of Tunisia. Tunisia is this uh, small, but not tiny, country in um, North Africa, um, between all these gigantic countries like Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, Sudan, uh, Libya, and. And what most Middle Eastern countries have in common is that money comes out of the ground Uh, and that through oil, gas. um, This is why Saudi Arabia is one of the richest country. And when money is handed out to you just because you have this treasure uh, in the ground, education is not not the priority because you can just literally create the... a basic income that is 10 times what should, what it should be and and just call it a day you know as a, as a, as a leader of a country and when you are into dictatorship it's actually one of the best arms is to not educate your people so uh, most of uh, Arab countries decided to take that path. In Tunisia, we have gifted with nothing. <laughs> we don't have oil, we don't have gas, we have nothing. And that's why the only way for us uh, to have an economy was to educate people. So we had, I would say, dictators who were forced to educate um, Tunisians, men and women. and And it, and it is one of the... It is actually the most educated country in the Middle East, Tunisia, um, as the World Bank and as all um, the UN and as uh, all the researchers have proven. So it is, again, it comes back to my point, which is education is not about learning. It's about everything. And Tunisia was an is an incredible story to show actually the power of education beyond just having access to a job or, or others. And
1: and what does, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that America is unique, the United States of America is unique in that it's the only country in the world whose system burdens uh, its youth with student debt like this. What, what is, what is the kind of higher education system look like in other countries and and in particular in, in Tunisia, as far as, as far as financing?
0: It is so. It is almost free. I mean, people pay taxes so they can get uh, schools for sort of free. So it's not mm. free because it doesn't cost anything. It just is paid by the government. And I'm not saying that that is better. You know, actually, the U.S. has one of the best education system in terms of like best colleges in the world.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and 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 we can also talk about this is actually, I think the fact that education is privatized mostly in the u s is also one of the reasons why it's so successful and it's so competitive and it's so there is like all these incredible universities and colleges. Um, the problem is how do you pay for it? You know, and that's where the problem is. And the problem is that, um, Some colleges would cost you 250K for undergrad. And nowhere in the world an eighteen years old would take it to hundred fifty thousand dollars of that you won't be even eligible for it in most countries, like you're yeah. too young to get that, that mountain of debt <laughs> you know and as you know you i you told me that now right now you're in France, like there is no way an eighteen years old would get to like a quarter million <laughs> dollar of debt. no way it's, it's actually it's a true. joke. Um, so there are um, everywhere like private um, private uh, universities, even like in France and all European countries that cost some money and that are expensive. But those are like 5% of the choice. But 95% of the choice and actually the best choices in most countries are free. You know, so the competitor of Harvard and France and Italy and and Germany and the in England are actually mostly public institutions.
1: you know I, I, I have this thought that's that's coming up because you were describing many of the the Arab countries and how you know they suffer because um, money comes out of the ground and they're suffering from Dutch disease. Um, and I was thinking, is it possible that the U S education system, the higher education system in the U S is suffering from its own kind of Dutch disease in that there's, there's so much demand for higher education in the United States for, for at least the top tier. And I haven't really fleshed this out. It's just kind of like at the tip of my tongue. So I was, what do you think about that? Does that make any sense? And if if no it's all good you don't need to let me down.
0: Lena, yeah, can you explain it better to me? Like I I don't get the question really.
1: I'm just thinking like the cost the cost of education in the United States has grown has is astronomical. Right? And part of that cost increase is because there's so much demand from overseas for let's call it an Ivy League education with kind of the top universities driving driving demand and so there's this this problem where yes there's quotas but if if I were Yale or Harvard and I knew that I could I could get basically an unbounded amount of capital from um you know the 1% of any nation in the world who want to attend Yale or I could charge lower prices for Americans is it is is that part of the the reason why um Tuition has gone up so much.
0: I, I honestly don't think so. Um, and and again, as I said, I'm not saying that the fact that education costs money in the U.S. is the problem. The problem is how to pay for it. And that's like we will come back to Mars. Is that? I don't think you cannot make Harvard free, you know, like it's a private institution and it's the whole idea of the country and of of how it works. Like you are not going to make a private company sell for free. Otherwise, it would just disappear. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just I think that is not ingrained in in how and how we think society here in the U.S., you know, it's about like. It is it is more way more competitive than elsewhere. So it is actually super interesting. I, I if I had to choose a caller somewhere in the world, I would choose it in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem is how do we make it accessible to the people who deserve to have it accessible? Like in, I'll give you an example. In France, if you are a billionaire, actually, the one I think the first, the the third richest person in the world who is, uh, who is the owner of. Louis Vuitton and Gucci and mm. LVMH group, um, his son, he's like, I think he has like a fortune of $70 billion or something like that. His sons all went to free college. <laughs> all got like free college. <laughs> that, yeah, it makes you laugh, right? But that is that is also the other side of the coin of having a, a free education for everyone. I think in france they can just make it equitable so if you should not which is the opposite here in the u.s because if you are a billionaire son in the u.s your education is free because your parents pay for it, you know, yeah. uh, and and so that is that is the same. But if you are not the son of a billionaire, then you'll have to pay, you know, and then it becomes super expensive. And that I think where it's broken, and that where I think innovation should should come in to change it.
1: And so, how how are you innovating at Moss in regards to kind of student debt? How are you going about solving this problem?
0: Okay, so now that I depressed all your listeners, <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there are solutions, right?
1: <laughs> no, I mean it, it's a massive pro- it's a massive problem. So you really went for the Shackleton test over here.
0: I love I love massive problems, uh, and uh, so actually, um, what we don't say, we kept the secret, <laughs> is that uh, the US is the country that gives the most of financial aid in the world and invest the most in education the budget for financial aid in this country is 135 billion dollars a year
1: it's huge a year versus 1.6 trillion of total outstanding debt so it's about 10 percent of yeah,
0: for 50 years um, but also, it's one of the most charitable countries in terms of like paying and helping students with to pay for, for for college. Um, there are tens of billions of dollars of aid out there that is given by charities, people, philanthropies, but also colleges themselves. For example, you know that there. Harvard and Stanford, those are like very, of course, fancy universities. There is no way you can not go to Harvard because of financial burden, because they have money for the people who cannot pay for it to make it free. So and why? Because they have gigantic uh, uh, endowments, etc. But so what do we do at Malk? What we did last year, so starting September, is that we made the $135 billion, which is all government, state, county, so this is all government financial aid, accessible through Moss, Mm. and we are the only place in this country to have the list of every single scholarship within the government right now.
1: How, how do you, you just went, you had someone go and scrape, scrape the web?
0: Yes, it took us a year. And it came from maybe a crazy bet, but we made it happen. It's actually working. <laughs> is that the problem and also here is that this country is a federal country. So every state has. It's sort of independence in terms of budget, in terms of governance, in terms of all of that. Mm. And on top of that, you have the federal government. So if you are a student, let's say you are a student from, from Idaho who is thinking about going to college and you might think of going to college either in New York, Idaho, California, or Texas. So what do you have to do? you have to apply for the federal applications. Mm-hmm. Then you have you probably have help within your in your high school to apply for the Idaho scholarships. And those can be from one to ten to whatever. And they all have their own applications with own eligibility criteria, with own deadlines, own oh, and so you might do like three or four.
1: I do not miss being a high school student. I remember the, I remember the college application years. That is that is the it's up there with the, some of the most painful processes that I've ever had to go through. And I've started two companies, so it's it's saying a lot.
0: <laughs> you are thinking about New York, Texas, California that you might have never been there. Again, let's remember you're 17, 18 years old doing this.
1: And and working
0: and working and having to score well on your ace
1: All your tests and do every single extracurricular possible to even get into college.
0: <laughs> and applying to those colleges and writing essays for yeah. those colleges. And then you have to apply to all the New York ones, all the California ones, all the Texas ones that honestly, there is no way you would know which one they are because your high school counselor in Idaho won't know about the Texas scholarship. Mm. So that is the problem. Money is there, access is not there. It is impossible for one human to know of every single application out there just because this is how it's how the system is designed. So you know how it is, like everyone is going to be applying for their IRS in, in a few weeks. Now, imagine you applying for for your taxes over and over and over and over and over and over over again without knowing if you will get it or not and probably doing mistakes. So what we did at Moss is if you come to Moss, you apply once because you know what? Your first name is the same. (laughs) <laughs> and your last name is the same, and every information about you is the same. It's not going to change. So we just ask it once, which seems dumb, but that's how it should be. Mm. And then we take care of applying you, figuring out what you are eligible for, and applying you to everything you're eligible for. Mm.
1: And and once you once you know what they're eligible for, as you said, each each application is kind of custom. So you basically guide them. Hey, these are these are what you're eligible for, and then they still are responsible?
0: We do it together. Every student is paired with a financial aid advisor and they work together until everything is done. So when, uh, like, for example, for their FAFSA, which is the federal application, it's a long application, it's a painful application. I would say it's an ugly application, but it is feasible, like one, okay? We do that automatically. They just fill out the MOS application and we fill out all their information directly on the FASA and they just have to click submit and sign. And, but that is That We do it for everything else.
1: And what, so how big is the team now? How many of these financial aid advisors do you have?
0: Yeah, so we have around like more than 10 financial aid advisors. You need to understand that this is also technology. There is not like a human just writing documents. Yeah. the financial aid advisor's work is to be paired with the students and help them through questions and things like that. But the technology takes on a lot of the paperwork. You know, the dumb work is done by technology. The smart work, the the help, the thinking is done by a human financial so you
1: have user. you basically have like a proprietary algorithm that matches students to this database.
0: Exactly. And we are the only ones to have that database. Yeah.
1: It's so, so cool. What's the, um, I mean, it's providing your tremendous value to the students. And of course, I guess this is probably a question that you've gotten in the past, but then what is the, what is the revenue model? You know, how much are you charging these students for this service?
0: So um, we charge 150 bucks uh, per student per year if they get financial aid. So if you apply through Mass and don't get financial aid, you pay zero. Okay, so it's...
1: Wow, it's only success-based.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only... I mean, yeah, the whole idea is to be fair.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you
0: are paying for a service, you are paying for a human, it's true, but we we only, we only charge if you are successful and you get financial aid. But what is interesting in what we do, and this is why um, the world of financial aid is actually a very interesting world, filled with a lot of scams and a lot of fake... Application that ask for your information to sell you a credit card or to sell you, mostly like to to sell your information. Shocker,
1: a one point six trillion dollar industry full of scams. <laughs>
0: okay, so, I mean, obviously, and so what we decided to do is that the student is not the product. You know, uh, usually if you have a service that is free and you're not paying it,
1: you're selling their data. Facebook. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, if you're if selling you, if their data. You are the product, right? Uh, for if, sure. um, if you're not paying for a product, you're the product. That's like a rule of thumb that I would advise every student to know. Uh, and so for us, we only sell the service we don't sell the information we don't share the information we did not we do not try to convince you to go to some shady colleges because they paid us a fee we we don't do all of that so we just help the student get financial aid
1: really so so the only revenue stream is the 150 per student per year yes wow that's fantastic and there's no there's no percentage of the grant or anything like that or
0: no it's a flat fee because we think i mean we are thinking about it. I would be interested if you have students listening to this podcast. What they think is fair, because we had few students asking for a percentage fee. But what is a percentage fee? You know, what if you like yesterday? We had a student who just left a comment actually online. She got one hundred thousand dollars. Would you be happy if I take two thousand or five? <laughs> like, what is a percentage fee? What we do is we take 150 and it's flat and, uh, and we might change it if students ask for it. Uh, we're actually thinking through it right now.
1: Yeah, that, that would be interesting to explore for sure. And, and this kind of, you know, I guess leaning into the fairness element of it, $150 is very reasonable for the service that you're providing. How do you think about students that can't afford the $150 fee?
0: Yeah. So it's a one year of Spotify or Netflix, right? Students have options on MOSS, how to pay us. Like they can pay on installments on three times or pay it right away. And the thing that they know is that we always, like we, we have probably the best refund policy out there, which is if we had students in trouble who decided just to refund them, even though we have them, we had, especially during these times, but it is. We try. I mean, the whole business model is for it to be fair and sustainable for the company to be able to serve twenty million students and not just the, like the ten thousand or a hundred thousand students. On the other side, what we do is we have categories of students to which we give mass for free so give it for free for homeless students for students going through very very complicated um financial problems and and we know because at mass you have to to get financial aid you have to disclose like your financials that's yeah. how the, what the government asks for so we have we know what's going on you know and um we have also certain private like private partnerships with some NGOs that will buy it for free for their students. And we encourage students to ask their colleges and high schools to pay, to ask them to partner with us to pay for it so we can sell to high schools.
1: Oh, that's cool. That would be an interesting way to just onboard a bunch of students at once.
0: Yeah, and we've done that. Uh, we've done it with NGOs. We are free for DACA students. Actually, congratulations today. I don't know when this will go out, but today, DACA students.
1: Today, June 18th. Congratulations. Uh, the order
0: on, on DACA students uh, has. Uh, Trump wanted to, to take up the DACA program um, in the US, and the Supreme Court uh, decided Overruled against that. it. Which I is, saw. Such an incredible. Uh,
1: for the listeners who don't know who don't know what DACA is, can you can you just unpack that quickly for them? Yeah. What that we means? You probably
0: heard the word dreamers. Those yes. are um, the kids who've been brought um, and were illegal immigrants in the U. S. when they were children and they are Americans. I mean, they live their whole life here. Most of them only speak English. They belong to this country. And uh, and so there's a program that protects them from deportation called uh, Dreamers Act. And, uh, and so Trump wanted to, yeah, wanted a kid who was brought in the U.S., age of six months to go back when they are 19 to some random country that they never lived in I'm very opinionated about it
1: <laughs> no I mean I, I no that's that's great I mean I'm, I'm excited that 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 the Supreme Court upheld that um support that would be that would be ridiculous and I worked at a, a program called um LIDA and another called I Mentor, and we had we had a bunch of dreamers in the iMentor program it was pairing You know, folks that were working on Wall Street with high school students in lower socioeconomic areas to um, help them with their college application process. Um, So this is definitely close close to my heart. Um, I mean, I'm just so blown away by one how incredibly powerful this can be. Two, the simplicity of it. Um, It's just like wow, wow. And I rarely, you know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs come on um, who are building companies, and I. I never want it to be like an infomercial where it's like, tell me about your amazing business. But like, I'm just actually, you know, I want to learn more about you as well. But wow, like congratulations. And I just wish you so much success. Um, but I have more, so we're not done yet. Uh, I just have to say it. It's so, so cool. Um, okay, so now you've gone and solved the student debt crisis for for incoming students, right? I'm guessing that when you came and started thinking about these problems, you said you were thinking about healthcare, you were thinking about education, you were coming at it from a first principles mindset, right? There's 45 million Americans um, that have student loans already, you know, this 1.6 trillion and you have your hands full with moss and you're doing your part, but what ideas do you have or what do you think is a reasonable way forward for that existing $1.6 trillion in student debt?
0: Yes. Um, listen, um, at Mars, sky is not the limit in terms of what we can do and how sh- we should do it. And um, so, something I always tell the team is that the loan business has been so revolutionized to make it so easy. It's so easy to go on a website that looks super cool with amazing you know messages and people smiling and click and end up with $50,000 debt right and uh, and there are a lot of people doing actually amazing work on like loan forgiveness and like uh, loan repayment loan refinancing and um for us what we are today really into is one To make applying and getting the free money as easy as getting a loan actually not as easy easier than getting a loan Mm. so we are after that because today getting financial aid is a horror story it's very complicated it's um it's hours and hours and hours of work but then we will be tackling those problems one after the other to be honest today we are super focused on not um sacrificing another generation mm-hmm. like we 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 know that there are way more problems and we know that the problem of student debt is gigantic is huge and it's super complicated and and um and terrifying and for us before trying to correct the problem we're like preventing it you know so we are...
1: Yeah, it's like stopping the bleeding.
0: Yes, the exactly. And then and then we will look at that. Uh, we're not there yet. We want first to be the place for every student in this country to go get their financial aid without taking a loan. We want students, when they are thinking about their colleges, to first think about the college they want to go to. They do their Moth application and then they think about other types of financing and not just like go ask your parents to empty their bank account to pay for you or uh, to go and click on some website and end up with uh, with loans that might uh, really j- like just make your future very complicated.
1: Yeah and we end up with this kind of form of indentured servitude in America where there's a whole class of students that take on jobs that they otherwise wouldn't want to if they're lucky enough to get a job out of college these days um, and, you know, and, and they're stuck for years and years and years paying off debt. Imagine the the entrepreneurial capacity that could be released into our, you know, be- into our beautiful, I almost sounded like Trump himself, our beautiful capitalist economy where they could go out and actually build stuff. Right. And, and instead, I, I have many friends that, you know, are stuck in jobs still that they don't like, but they're burdened with student debt and they need to pay it off. So. And it's crazy and you can't you can't de- it's the one type one type of debt that you can't declare bankruptcy you can't you can't restructure at least to my knowledge like it's it's a real shame um I wanted to ask I mean what's what's Moss's relationship to universities and do you believe that universities are um and this might be a tricky one cuz because of where you're sitting but do you believe that universities are complicit in kind of this student debt machine
0: yeah so like everything okay so let me let me tell you a high level what i think um i don't think universities and um and like financial aid advisors and universities and teachers sat in a room and were like hey let's think about how we can abuse those students i don't think that i know some Mm. people do I really don't think that I would, 99.9% of people in education are well intentioned and really want, they are doing it by passion and and they are doing it for the right reasons. The right reasons doesn't mean that you can, you you are, you won't do it wrong, you know, or you won't think about it as you should. and um, obviously, and of course, uh, the way how universities think about their revenue model needs to be thought, and and they need to find ways to make it accessible to those who need it the most and balance the pricing in a way that becomes fair. Mm. Um, but at the same time, in terms of like... Um, do i think what is our relationship most with the universities today we don't have relationship with the university we have a relationship with students
1: so so you can you can tell you you can tell the truth then about the university yeah. right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no university is bagel like zero <laughs> no seriously
1: okay so what's the real story
0: i my background is and social movements. I I am passionate about building social movements. I'm passionate to work with people, and I love what I love about most of that Our client is the student, you know, and uh, we know who's paying us. You know, if you want to even think about it that way, which is not how I th- we think about it. Like, students cannot pay us. We still <laughs> we still work for them, and that's what we do every day at Moss. I mean, we we're, we're just passionate about it. But what I'm saying is we really wanted to put ourselves in the shoes of our students and we built mass for students. Mm-hmm. We think to reach the 20 million students and ideally to make the students get mass in a way that is almost free for them is maybe universities can buy it for their students so they can apply directly there. Um, Will university do this? We think they will. Um, did some reach out? Yes. Did we do it yet? No, This is something that will come in the future, probably. And how will it be? It will be always led by the students. If so the students, if we have students in a university who want with us to to make math accessible in their university, that's something we can build. Um, we are also, we will always have masks for students like that's the whole idea of it. We want to build solutions and tools that help people like break financial barriers. And that's where our passion is. And that's why everyone in the company joined, you know, what our joy is when the students say thank you. You know that's what we love. That's what we do all day long is to mm-hmm. talk to students, email with students, chat with students, SMS with students, um, and that's that's what.
1: I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have quite a few other responsibilities as well <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I mean, it's been a while since I've personally kind of dove into the student debt web um, and mess. Um, and and so correct me if I'm wrong, but there's an entity called Sally Mae, right? Which is kind of this, like n- this, um, g- yeah, it's, it's a, it's a loan platform, uh, similar to Fannie Mae and Freddie, Freddie Mac in, in the U S mortgage industry that provides financing to folks that otherwise couldn't afford it from typical commercial providers. So intentionally the intentionality behind that sounds really powerful, but, in the end, it kind of continues to drive a lot of problems. Um, you know, and and I guess it's this flywheel, right? Sally May provides more debt financing to folks that aren't credit worthy quote unquote, of that debt. And then universities raise their tuition prices because they can because an entity like Sally May can fill the gap. Is there truth to this? is is this? You know, improper economic thinking on my part. Um, curious, curious for your take.
0: Students don't go to Sally Bay. For
1: they, they don't.
0: <laughs> no, don't. No, no, no. Listen again.
1: Sally May's students buying
0: should not, should not take on loans. Oh, you're telling
1: students not getting to get
0: the free money. Don't do that. That's a huge mistake. You have no idea what that means, and you have no idea how eligible you are for financial aid. Most students who need, who are in this position, are usually very low-income students, right?
1: Yes, one one hundred percent.
0: Right? Yes. Very low-income students are those who are the most eligible for free financial aid.
1: Yeah, and they're and and the most vulnerable to entities like Sally Mae that are. I get. I guess. Um, it's just it's just interesting to me because I guess this is a little bit maybe too macro, too high level for this conversation. But it's just watching universities become just large pools of capital as their tuition increases, their endowment size increases, the amount of administrators and the cost of administration increases versus faculty. Um, I mean, you know, grants, grants solve the problem of making it more affordable for students, but do they, do they solve kind of the issue with the, the for-profit university machine in the United States?
0: Yeah. So, first of all, as a student, you are not forced to go to those colleges, Mm. right? You need to make a decision that makes sense to you and to your future. So, is Stanford an insanely amazing university? Yes, it is. I am a Stanford fellow. Mm. Is Berkeley an, an very, 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 very good university? It is too you know and (laughs) so there are there are you need to know why you're going to that college if it is just for the fanciness of it you're probably not making the right choice and here I'm not being like a college counselor I'm just saying that you need you know the lack of financial literacy makes students go into these problems and this is something that we will be working on a lot with the team at Moss is to create also knowledge beyond just solving the problem.
1: I love this. Financial literacy education for high schoolers would be tremendous. Service. They need
0: to know why you would pick that and what are the real numbers and and why, why are you going there just because it's fancy or are you going there because it's going to serve you in your future? Um, the second thing is, again... There there are ways of making a college give you more financial aid, even if it's very expensive. And actually, the unfortunately, the more expensive the college, the more money they have to give. <laughs> but yeah. again, the lack of knowledge, the hardness of negotiation is what makes it complicated. And that's what we're trying to take to take on, you know. And this is actually what we're going to build like this summer is how do we make the how do we get into the colleges money to give them to give it to students most colleges are like a black box where nice. you have no idea how much money they have what are the programs they have but they do have financial aid they do have a lot of financial aid i mean we're talking about tens of billions of financial aid so how do we unlock that do i think the price of college makes sense No, of course it doesn't. It's it's just absurd. And, And certain colleges more than others, obviously. But also there are colleges just to... To be fair, again, there are colleges who are taking this at heart, and there are people working at the very expensive colleges who are taking this at heart and who in the past like decades built the you know the the blind applications and the and the fact that you can the need blind applications Mm -hmm. so that you are not you are not
1: being they're not biased against you because because you
0: can't pay you know and uh, and if you've been chosen and you cannot pay they would pay for you so there there is progress out there and i think that the work that is not i don't think the the solution is to be students against colleges i think it's students demanding from colleges and students really making their voice heard inside the colleges and students who actually get financial aid and the students who are actually in, get into those colleges to be advocates for those who will come after them and to be agents of change to make those colleges more affordable and to put the affordability of colleges on the table as a discussion with the faculty, with the president, with the the financial arm of those colleges.
1: Mm.
0: And it's already happening, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, something has to give, right? And I think this is actually a good segue. You know, we're June 18th, where most cities in the United States are coming out of have come out of quarantine. Um, COVID-19 had this kind of eye-opening effect. You know, Professor Galloway has been speaking about how many universities are actually not going to get out of this crisis. Um, students are going to realize that they're overpaying for further education, and we'll you know his projection is we'll see a hollowing out of kind of second tier universities just disappearing and um you know local community colleges that are worth it from an ROI standpoint because the costs are lower and then still the the premier co- universities um, will still have success. what are what are your thoughts on the impact of covid nineteen on on the university space?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, um, I think um I think the impact, so for, first of all, the impact on students was disastrous. Uh, we, on on many levels, one, it created even more inequality between those who will have a fast speed internet and, and their house and a room and uh, and their own room and a place to work and others who had to go home, and they don't own anymore like their own room and their houses, and have to work with their parents who lost their jobs, and 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 and, and the impact on the LGBTQ community uh, students was also very disastrous for students who had to go back home and they had no place to go, and so um, ended up homeless or living in their cars. Uh, the students whose parents lost their jobs, or themselves lost their jobs, they lost their work study programs on, on campus, and they have universities not accepting that. I mean, of course, I am so sorry, but this is very depressing. No,
1: no, no, no. It's it's but real. There,
0: there is hope. There is hope, but the, the other thing um, to answer your question is, what is the impact on colleges? It has been proven, because, and, and while it is not a discovery, it's just something that no one wanted to look at it straight in the eyes, is that it has been proven that students don't go to college, the main reason why they will go to college is not to learn Algebra 101, you know? Because <laughs> guess what? It's already on YouTube and you have the Harvard, MIT, and Stanford classes of Algebra 101 free on YouTube. They go to college for the social experience, for the growing experience, for the human experience. And colleges need to do more on that. That is what justifies the price. When they have been given the choice of doing a Zoom education, students think it's worth like $500 a year. You know, like many of them are not interested. They are, yeah, I mean, but that's the truth. And I'm sure every student who's listening here would be like, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you're
1: there to socialize and and build a a community.
0: And build a network and have extra activities and learn how to build your future life, right? And that is what these colleges are about. And this is what students are seeking by going four years and leaving their houses and and going living on campus. And what has been um, not working is this, Zoom education. What is interesting is that in the Silicon Valley, there is a belief that students, colleges won't exist anymore
1: mm-hmm. because
0: students just need YouTube to learn. Um, and that also has been proven wrong.
1: Yeah, that's like the you know Lambda School is another another company that's oft referenced in this in Lambda this space. Lambda
0: School is a little bit different because it's for like adult uh, students, but mm-hmm. for like young students when you are eighteen and graduated from high schools, look, you're you're not that much. Some are, but most of the students are not interested in a YouTube education. So what is um, what I think um, is uh, humbling for colleges is how do you now really prove like how do you now justify your price and yes call some colleges will shut down and and some colleges will just disappear and that is sad because a college means jobs also Mm. so it is sad it is not a fun thing to laugh about it's actually Mm. really sad because we're talking about families losing their jobs but at the same time it is a big learning for colleges and i will I'll be very interested about to see how, how the future of colleges is going to be. Will they learn something from this experience or will they be tone deaf and, um, and just move on? And that will, be, that will be interesting.
1: So I know we're, we're you know, I don't, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I have a few more questions because you have a company to run. Um, you mentioned Silicon Valley and kind of this view in the Valley that universities are going away um, that it's all going to be remote. People can just learn how to code. That's the future of literacy. Um, the ROI doesn't make sense on universities, et cetera. I think there's there's some truth in that um, from, from my perspective, but not completely, and I agree that universities will still be here. Um, you're now in, in the Valley, but previously you were in the NGO space. So kind of what what's different, what's the same, how has working in NGOs prepared you for being in the valley? and I mean it's it's a unique path that you took, so I'm curious,
0: yeah, um, so uh, there are things that are obviously different. i mean i i am I don't look like the typical silicon Valley uh, founder that was <laughs>
1: that was my next question to add. I might as well ask, what is the experience- what has your experience been of being a woman founder? Um, you know, of, of being a a, a, non, a non-American citizen as a founder?
0: Yeah, so um, weirdly positive. Um, I was not expecting it to be positive at all. Actually, I was expecting it to be <laughs> very difficult. Really? Uh, why positive? Um, I, I, I am in love with this place. I, I love what I do, and I love the fact that I'm building a startup. What I found very positive in 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 my experiences that san francisco in particular is one of the very 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 few places in the world if not the only place in the world when you are an immigrant like me with an accent like me and you are um and you can you come with a crazy idea you're given a chance to do something uh, I lived in Paris for many years, and believe me, I always felt like a second category of human. You know, I never been; I would never equal like a French, for example. Um, and I live, and even in my country, Tunisia, like if you're not Tunisian, it's very hard to succeed. And and that is in most places in the world. I would say even in some states in the in most states in America. But in San Francisco, it's very different because there have been people paving the way before us. Uh, A lot of the very incredible founders that we know and use their apps every day are immigrants or first gen. Uh, we, all those students who are using Zoom (laughs) to study, Zoom has been created by a Chinese immigrant uh, who also have an accent as Eric Yuan and and he was able to succeed. So I love that. This is something I love about this place and this is why I feel very welcomed. Um, The other thing is that there is a bet on crazy ideas that you won't see anywhere else in the world. And sometimes it's stupid and it's like you can laugh about like the crazy ideas, but where in the world, someone who comes and says, you know what, I'm going to make every state in America have the same application. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we are building a solution to make education free while this is a problem that has been there for 50 years. Someone would be like, okay, I'll invest on that. <laughs> you know? mm. uh, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> let's do it. Um, it's the absolutely the only place. in in the world where where this is possible. So on that side, it was amazing for me. And the other side, um, San Francisco is is a city you love and hate every day. Uh, You extremely love, you extremely hate. So I love for the reasons that I said, but I hate because it's one of the richest, richest places like per capita. Uh, and uh, the richest people live here, and yet no one is able to solve the homelessness crisis, and yet no one is able to solve, like, the drug addiction crisis. And you walk, you walk, and you walk in front of, like, the, those very fancy buildings of companies that are worth billions of dollars with people sleeping on the ground right in front of those offices. And, and while like we, we, I would say, we are able to build technologies that completely change the face of the world. We're not able to build a solution for 8,000, more than 8,000 homeless and get them just like a, some dignity and a life, you know? Yeah. So that is a bit, um, not a bit, it's a like very heartbreaking, um, but at the same time, like I see that the new generation of founders is um, very mission driven more and more, and and people in tech are sick and tired of working for technologies that are not doing good in the world, mm. uh, which was not the case a few years ago. Like, yeah, we
1: saw we saw employees walk out on Facebook recently, which I thought was fantastic.
0: Exactly, everyone's dream was to work at Facebook, and now everyone's um, disappointment. Everyone's like, you know. They would, when you work at Facebook, you just like, try not to put it on your LinkedIn. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you try not to, to much publicize it because actually the reason Facebook in the beginning, the idea was amazing. And that's why it, it brought in all of these incredible talented people. And then, you know. We know what it is today. so, so, I think there is also a change in technology and how Silicon Valley thinks about building technology that is very interesting. And that's why people like me can build companies like Moss.
1: yeah, and to your point to your point about Facebook, actually, um there was recently an arrest in the Philippines. Uh, I'm blanking on her name, but she has been one of the most outspoken um advocates for free speech. In the Philippines, um, and she was a journalist. Uh, so I feel like this would be close to your heart because of what you were doing in Tunisia. She's got arrested, and there were basically Facebook allowed bots. I, I heard an interview with her and Tristan Harris. Facebook allowed bots to to attack her. Um, you know, the government was was trying to shut her down and and censor her, and using Facebook. And there was no no response from Zuck and the team over there. So. You know, they their, their tagline is certainly not do no evil. Um, I guess, you know, really.
0: Uh, so just on that is, so Maria Risa, who are you? I think you are. Yes,
1: yes, Maria Risa. Yes, thank you, I was blanking out her name.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, um, here, is, uh, here is a story about me. During the Tunisian revolution, uh, the dictator was shooting people on the streets. Uh, we are all risking our lives. And the pro-regime people reported my Facebook account. And guess what? Facebook shut down my account. So it's completely broken policy. I personally, I don't have a Facebook account anymore uh, for like now two years. And I think everyone should just delete it.
1: Respect. I mean, that's why I've worked in the blockchain industry for three years is, is to create Web3 so that these platforms... You know, don't own and manipulate our data. And if you've listened to any episodes, I started this podcast specifically to speak about, you know, the attention economy and the issues of, of how it's ripping apart the fabric of our society. It's, it's quite, quite another problem. Um, I wanted, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you. And well, I have, I have three more questions. So the first is your work on Black Students Matter. I want, I want to give you an, an opportunity to, to share that with the audience because I thought that was really powerful.
0: Yes. Um, everyone knows what's going on in America today, uh, which is not a new problem, which is a problem that has been waiting for action for decades and which is a problem that never have been solved. And um, finally, the world needed... Um, Someone who, I would say, sacrificed his life (laughs) for people to wake up and Mm. to see and to watch that incredibly shocking, horrifying video, um, to to do something, to to speak up, and to understand that this is not black people's problems. This is everyone's problem. This is a society. This is actually a universal problem. So we at Moss were thinking like, how can we, how can we help? So the whole team was protesting. The whole team was very supportive of of the movement. But then we were like, okay, what do we do as a company? What do we do? We help students get financial aid. How many of our students are identify as black? more than 30%. 12% Americans identify as Black and Moss were more than 30%. Mm. And it was not time to be happy about how good we are for them. It was a time about how can we do more? And so we decided to create the Black Students Matter scholarship. And literally, we did it in 24 hours. We shipped it in 24 hours, as we say in the Silicon Valley, which means we created a website.
1: Shipped it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> means we did we created a website and we created a fund and um, I sent an email we tweeted about it like a few tweets and we are now over $100,000 of scholarships in there that will go to black students and yes. we decided yeah and we decided to make it <laughs> um, to make it very different from other scholarships so to apply the only thing you have to do is to be part of the movement and send us what you've done to advance the cause. Mm. And so on uh, the very sad one month anniversary of George Floyd on the 25th, we will be granting our students these scholarships and we'll probably have over 200 students who will get it.
1: It's unbelievable. As if, as if the work you're doing isn't enough. So that's it is not
0: enough. I think it is not enough.
1: That actually comes to my second to final question for you, which is: I anticipate that you're going to be doing something else in the future. I feel, I just feel it. I feel like you're going to just be this this serial entrepreneur that's building really impactful companies. Um, You know, you're you're solving the education, the student debt crisis in the United States. If you could be working on any other problem right now, solving any other problem right now besides this one, what would it be?
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A problem that is very dear to my heart um, is, is solving the problem of children without parents, so of orphans. Um, I am and how orphanages work in the world and how access to parents is and how trafficking uh, works. And I, uh, I think those kids are some, are some of the most, um, you know, underprivileged humans in the world. When you're born without an adult to 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 protect you, um, or when you're born with adults who abuse you and uh, you have to be taken out and you 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 end up you end up orphan, I uh, this is something that I'm very like touched by, and I hope people would adopt more i uh, I hope people will stop just making their own babies before uh giving a home to those kids who are looking for a home
1: and yeah. Yeah. that would be that would be a really powerful problem to solve. I'd be curious I mean again, you know the one you're solving, I don't think anyone realized there was something so simple, so I'd love to see you approach that at some point.
0: Hopefully, working my, on <laughs> My final
1: question is probably the most important one. Mm-hmm. Um, you have on your Twitter profile that you're from Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: I know.
1: What's your relationship to Star Wars? <laughs>
0: So Tatooine, <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> Tatooine is um, is a village in Star Wars where Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker uh, grew up. Uh, so it's the planet Tatooine. And planet Tatooine is actually a real place in the world called Tatooine in Tunisia. No and South of Tunisia, where I come from. And so literally my birth, like that's my, our birthplace. That's where my parents are born and that's what's written on their birth certificates, like born in Tatooine.
1: Oh my <laughs> that's incredible.
0: I encourage anyone to go to uh, visit the South of Tunisia and look at the decors because they are still there and look how Tatooine looks like in real life.
1: I'm in, I'm gonna go check it out ASAP. Amira, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so excited about what you're building. Um, I just think it's going to have a huge impact and I can't wait to see what's next. Congratulations on all the success so far. If I can be helpful at all, you know, let me know. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave with the listeners uh, before we go?
0: I, I just want to tell the students and everyone who is listening to this, that, the future can be bright and will be bright if you don't give up on your dreams and on trying to find a way to get there. And if you are a student and I can help you with MAS.com, please go and use it. And you can always reach out to me on social media. Um, Mark, this was a joy and uh, a <laughs> Amazing uh, discussion with you, and you have such a beautiful voice.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you! <laughs> I mean, thank you for that. You know, I've been crafting my podcast voice very carefully.
0: <laughs> thank you so much, Mark, and also thank you for I. As of course, I I I discovered you in that documentary, and I was like, uh, that guy is right. Uh, so <laughs> so
1: happy to
0: see people stand up when everyone accepts you know things that should not be accepted. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you, I it. All right. Hello LookUp listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward we'll be releasing new episodes of Look Up every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, or you can subscribe to the LookUp Weekly Newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in. And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.